Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. We're going three seasons into the future. We're going to 2023. Not that we're trying to get, I don't know, you don't want to wish away these seasons. There's a good fun Ohio State season's coming. But JTT is here. He's going to be here in 2023 because he still has to be. And there's going to be a lot of good players on the Ohio State roster in 2023. So we are going to spend this podcast looking at that. Nathan has done a depth chart. Steven has looked at what other Big Ten teams will look like in 2023. I tooled around a little bit with some of the other national contenders and what's up with them. And Nathan, I mean, I don't know. The reason we're doing this was because we think... <laughs> 2023 has a chance to be the best team in Ohio state history, which is like, okay, I'll you know, we can say it now before a single one of the guys who should be the start. I mean, there'll be some seniors maybe who are hanging around, but the juniors, the guys will be juniors that year. They haven't played a single down of football yet, but based on the recruiting rankings. And I think it's not just the rankings and whether they're the number two class, or the number one class, but it's like the impact players at specific positions that I think really matters to this and really makes it interesting. It's like, you could have a number one rank recruiting class. It's like linebackers and guards. And it's like, okay, that's great. But it's like the guys that Ohio state has that are ranked high, like change games. So I'm comfortable. I am at least you guys can say if you're comfortable or not, I am comfortable like putting this out here three years early, three seasons early saying what the expectations might be for this 2023 team. If you want to, if, if anybody wants to pull me back, you can pull me back, but you would, you did the depth chart. Nathan. Before we get into the depth chart, how, how far should we push the hype on this? Well, I mean, it, the hype pushes itself. I mean, this is why you do, this is why they buy into recruiting rankings. It's why we, we track those on a year by year basis. Um, it, it's, it's why they talk about, uh, Ohio State being they, why they talk about themselves the way they do and the expectations that they already have. And I, I feel like the hype um, takes care of itself. Like you, you can't do what they're doing on the recruiting trail and not have the hype that, and, and I, I would actually push things a little bit farther because if you think, if we think the 2023 team could be as good a collection of talent as Ohio State has ever had, and we're, we're kind of speaking that into existence and we're at least examining that we're at least looking at whether that's a plausible thing to argue. And, and it's, that's a high, that's a high bar to clear. 
But if we're saying that, then 2022 should be pretty, pretty great too. No, I agree. But 2022 Quinn Ewers is going to be a true freshman. If he is the quarterback, sure. um, I think it is Paris Johnson will still be here. True. And I, I think it is normal to gear big time recruiting classes to their third year. Cause the third year is when nobody can leave yet. Everybody's a veteran. Nobody's still learning. Even if you had an injury issue, or even if you kind of were blocked for a year, you kind of have yourself sorted out. So I think it's normal to peg it to the third year, which is what we're doing. We're pegging this 2021 class to the third year with year two of Quinn Ewers thrown into that. Now, of course, as we've said a million times, and everybody listening to this, listening to this podcast knows it, the 2013 class won the national championship in year two. So yes, but for these purposes, Nathan, I don't want to muddy things too much with 2022 because this is a two-hour podcast about 2023. I understand. I was just when in reference to the hype train, I really think the hype train is how much can this team accomplish in a three-year window, not just what can it do in 2023. I agree. But with I understand that. we're I understand we're focusing on 2023 today. Yeah, it is again. I had the conversation with the 2017 guys before the 2018 season. And I remember talking to Chase Young and guys like that. I'm like, here we go. The 2013 class did it in year two. Are you guys ready for this? And Chase Young and those guys were like, yeah, let's go. And then like it, it didn't really happen, you know, like it didn't. And, and to your point, you could look at like that 2018 season. It's like, well, listen, this is really pegged off that 2017 class that was so special. But in 2018, you still had Nick Bosa, yeah. right? You hadn't lost him yet. You still had some of those guys that really, I mean, not even supplement Nick Bosa, if he would have been healthy, would have been maybe the best player in college football that year. So I think like a Nick Bosa, Paris Johnson comparison is very similar, but it did just so happen the way it unfolded with that 2017 recruiting class. It was year three. It did turn out that Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and JK Dobbins and Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and Sean Wade, they peaked in year three, they were still on the path in year two. They weren't all the way there. Chase wasn't all the way there. JK wasn't all the way there. Jeff Okuda wasn't all the way there. Jeff Okuda got there like in the Rose Bowl. So mm-hmm. it really did take them to that third year, even as highly rated as they were. So that's why we're going to target 2023 for this. And Stephen, again, just the general idea that this is based off the 2021 recruiting class, does that class and the litany of great Ohio state recruiting classes, does it deserve this kind of treatment or are we going too far? No, it deserves this type of treatment because of where the, like, as you said, they get five stars who change games. It's two of the top five players in the country, both of which are defensive ends. It's the number one wide receiver in the country. It's the number one running back in the country. It's a five-star court. It's just a lot of guys at positions that change games. And if I was going to compare it to anything, I would, that's not Ohio state. I would wonder how people talked about, the Georgia 2018 class before things obviously panned out the way they did, especially with Justin Fields, that class had seven, five stars and like 12 or 13 top 100 guys headlined by Justin Fields and Mira white a, a lot. It was kind of a similar situation where this is like a pretty ridiculous, you know, consumption of talent, an average star rating of 94.23 Ohio state's 21 class is 94.76. So in the same realm, and it didn't work out because of some coaching decisions and a lot some other factors as well, but it almost seemed like in the moment that you could say with that Georgia team, okay, if this class in their third year doesn't win a national championship, 
it's a bit of a failure for a little bit and to the point of how we're speaking about 12 team playoff and all that stuff. I think we can view this 2021 class the same way where if they don't win a national championship in 2023, it's kind of a failure if you're going to be hyperbolic about it. And the thing that is similar about the 2017 Ohio state class and the 2021 Ohio state class is that you are dropping a quarterback who is one year younger Mm-hmm. on top of that class to help put him over the top. And you're talking about, oh, the Georgia it's 2018 class. Well, had Justin Fields and he left. And if Justin Fields would have stayed there, they might have done all that. Instead, Justin Fields comes and becomes the final piece to add to Ohio State's 2017 class. So it's a 17 quarter, it's a 17 class, 18 quarterback, just like we are potentially looking at a 21 class and a 22 quarterback that you are dropping into that mix to get them over the top. Now, 2017 did have a quarterback in Tate Martell and that didn't work. And then it ended up being Justin Fields. 2021 does have a quarterback and and Kyle McCord might work great. I don't know, but it's just a little more complicated here. We've covered that a million times. So we're obviously going to talk about Quinn Ewers, but we don't want this to make it an hour of Quinn Ewers and then an hour of everybody else, because you guys kind of know the deal with Quinn Ewers. We don't know for sure what's going to happen with this, but the guy's the highest rated quarterback recruit in the history of recruiting. So like, what are you going to do? We will get into later. And and again, the other wrinkle in this, the other wrinkle in this, and we'll talk about it more later, is this is the year that the 12-team playoff will probably start. So we can discuss later, is that good for Ohio State? Is it bad? Does it increase or decrease their chances of winning the national title in 2023? Because I think you absolutely can look at it two different ways. So we will discuss that later, but that is the complicating factor. It is not set. Nobody's done anything. All they've done is propose stuff with the playoff expansion. A lot of us here included have sort of run with the idea of like, okay, it's definitely happening. I mean, they wouldn't propose it and leak it and then propose it officially and study it if they weren't going to do it because they're going to make money and everybody loves it. But, you know, like that's something that, We are going to assume, I think, as we discuss this, but we don't know for sure. Okay. Nathan, how long did it take you to put the depth chart together? You know, not not that long. Okay. Less than an hour. Okay. Were you shocked a little bit? Maybe it was was easier than you thought it would be? Well, only because the stakes are even lower than the one that you do. Like the one I do after the season, preparing for the next fall, you have so much more certainty. Here, there's just so much uncertainty even in a good way, kind of like, well, it's going to be like, which of these eight good defensive backs are going to be the six that we're going to put on this jet chart? You know what I mean? Like things like that. So as I said to Doug, we were discussing like, are we just going to do a starting lineup? We're going to do the depth chart. Cause I think we don't want to get too bogged down in like, well, who's actually going to be the backup right guard as opposed to the backup left guard, that kind of thing. It's more about, I think getting a better sense of the overall depth and and the overall ceiling of talent really. Yeah, what the ceiling is and like how many options they have. That if like right. a guy doesn't quite pan out, do they have somebody else to turn to? All right, Nathan, it's your depth chart. You can decide where we start. Do you want to start offense or defense? Um, let's start on offense. Okay. Why not? I, I guess we'll start with the quarterback then. How did you figure out this quarterback depth chart? Well, I don't want to bring this thing to a screeching halt right away. But I put Quinn Ewers as the starting quarterback. And then for the backup right now, I'm putting TBD. Because I don't think all three of these guys who are here now are still going to be here in 2023 if Quinn Ewers is the starting quarterback. I don't think any of them will be. 
So Such then I, what, 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 what would you put? Like, I think, I think the guy who that, uh, I think the 2023 backup quarterback probably is in the 2022 class. They have not, don't even have a commitment yet for the 2022 class from a quarterback. No, but, the, the 2023 class, but yeah, I think <laughs> the thing is you're probably right. It's the safest thing to do, but you're probably right, which is why they're approaching the quarterback recruiting it the way they are. They're not necessarily going for the highest rated guy in the world in 2023 right now, at least not from an offer and from a camp standpoint. And so I think you're right. You might just have a true freshman backup quarterback in 2023 and then fill the rest of the room out with maybe some transfers who are just veterans to fill the room up. When you said TBD, I initially thought, whose name are you shortening to three initials that I can't pronounce? It's uh, Trevor De, De Brunswick. Da, Dahlia, Debaya Brunswick. <laughs> he's a he's a dual threat from uh, Idaho. Yeah, Tommy Bartholomew Dahlia Muau. It's like what is it? That was the what? worst. He's like so that was the worst. He's only like half Samoan. No, I know. Bartholomew. All right. So TBD. So I think that makes sense. It's like, I mean, and, and like the most complicating factors, I mean, again, let's not even get bogged down in it. We are assuming if they're going to be the greatest team in college football history, they have to play the greatest recruit in quarterback history. So let's move on. We've had the quarterback discussion ad nauseum. There's nothing we're going to add to it. You're right. Let's not grind it to a halt, but we do want to make note with each of these guys, where they are ranked in their class as we make this depth chart. So Nathan, this is a five-star number one player in the country. We're talking about for Ohio State class 2022, a quarterback, right? Correct. The a perfect quarterback rating as of right now. Running back. Who's the running back? I went Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor. So Henderson first on the depth chart, Pryor second. I don't know. I mean, the rest of it is um, – are you throwing like Mayan Williams in as like a senior, right? Who could help thought about right? that, yeah. which is not a bad idea. But the whole point of this, like Steven, the whole point of like bringing in Henderson and Pryor is so that by year three, your two best running backs are Henderson and Pryor. Like if Mayan Williams is, is ahead of one of those guys, something is off the plan. Now, th- nothing goes, not all 22 starting spots are going to go according to plan. But Steven, I mean, this is, you have to go Henderson Pryor here, right? Yeah, and have Henderson being the between the tackles every single down, but not. I'm not calling Evan Pryor third down back. That's not what I'm doing. I'm call. I'm going to call him a change pace back from after you've ran Travion Henderson seven or eight times in a row and he's dominating your your def- defensive line. You bring in Evan Pryor for a change of pace real quick. But yeah, I agree with this. That's what they're trying to do in 2021. And then there's probably two freshman running backs from the 2023 class who are on the roster who are similar to what Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor are because that's what they're trying to do again. They're trying to aim high in that class again, maybe get guys like Richard Young and Trayon Webb. So uh, Doug, as you say, not everything goes according to plan. Sometimes things in a positive way don't go according to plan. And obviously Mayan Williams forcing his way to the top of a depth chart or even being the number two guy for that year, I think would qualify as that. Um, I'm just not as far down on, I'm as far along on the Mayan Williams hype train as some people are. Um, I think he can be a useful player for this team, but I would expect by then that Evan Pryor's higher base of talent would have won out and put him in that second spot. As high as some people are based on like 12 carries for a guy who Correct. was an Iowa State decommit and a last yes. second recruit. Yeah. I mean, no, like it's a tired defensive oh, hey. line in the third quarter. <laughs> Just yeah. come back, come back around this time tomorrow and look at the text people are sending us uh, no. telling me that I'm wrong about Mayan Williams. Yeah, no, it's fine. But like if, 
but two things have to happen because Mayan Williams can be whatever he's going to be, but like if his ceiling is not as high as Trayvon Henderson. So like if, if he hits his ceiling and he is playing ahead of Trayvon Henderson, something has happened with Trayvon Henderson's ceiling, which, which doesn't mean that Ohio state can't win, but it's not the plan. All right. Henderson is a five-star. What's the number, what number recruit is he in the class of 2021? He is the number 22 overall player, the number one running back with a star rating of 98.74. And then right, I don't need the decimals. I don't need decimals. That's okay. okay, cool. I'm just, it just, you know, it matters sometimes because we're going to have too point. many numbers. We're going to have too many numbers in this podcast. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. And then Evan Pryor is a number 82 player, the number six running back, which I am so glad that 247 Sports has revamped their classifications because there's no more all purpose back and no more pro style and no more dual threat quarterbacks. You're just a running back and a quarterback. Just a football player. All right. You're going three wide, right, Nathan? Three starting receivers, yep. two outside, one in the slot. Who you got? So in the slot, I put Emeka Egbuka and Caleb Brown. And okay. outside, I have uh, Marvin Harrison with Caleb Burton behind him at one spot and Julian Fleming with Jaden Ballard behind him at the other spot. Okay. So That's this very is very interesting to me. This is Julian Fleming. Coming back for year four. Jackson Smith Najigba not coming back for year Correct. four. Correct. Correct. Igbuka, Marvin Harrison Jr., they have to be here. Burton, Ballard, they have to be here. I mean, let's say transfer. But that's a, I think it's an interesting. I mean, based on what Julia, you know, based on one year of Julian Fleming, it's like to send him off to the NFL. After right. three years, he didn't do much last year and he's not scheduled to start this year. So he would have to really pop in year three. And if he does, then you just like slide Caleb Burton in as a starter. So you're fine. Right. But like, I think I agree with this. I think I, I think this is a smart way to do it. And then that's what we're talking about, Nathan, where it's like, hey, it really is about these third year guys from 2021. But by the way, there's guys from other classes who are going to help you. And like, Oh, by the way, the number one receiver recruit in his class, who's now a fourth year guy. What a nice thing to add into that group. Yeah. The other thing I would mention too, is let's say, let's say Julian Fleming does pop and leave. The other thing that could happen is they could decide a similar thing could happen as what's happened with Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Whereas if the person that, emerges as the other third guy that you need to get on the field is a slot guy, then maybe you move Igbuka outside. I guess that's another option too. But as the way, from what we know about this roster now, this is what makes the most sense to me projecting three years out. I think the interesting thing you said there was Caleb Burton's on the outside and Caleb Brown's the second slot guy. I think that's interesting because both of those guys can obviously play in the slot. I, I don't know if, I agree with it or not. I, I would have approached it maybe with Caleb Burton where maybe he spends a year outside and then he goes into the slot because he's just as explosive as he has a lot of those same, you know, tra traits and, and stuff that Garrett Wilson has. So maybe I, I would have maybe put Caleb Burton in the slot and then had Keon Grays be the other outside receiver, but I don't have a problem with this either. But we're also talking about that the three starters are two juniors and a senior and they're ranked yeah. ridiculously high. Not that they won't rotate, but. You know, I do think it's fair yeah. to call guys starters. And, and I also wonder sometimes if they're going to – if you do that and you make Caleb Burton like the backup slot, are you giving him less opportunities than if he was one of the guys outside in more of a rotation? I, I don't know. I'd like to see how Ohio State is going to handle this here in the next couple of years. I mean, it, that, that's also part of like – I think we're about to re-enter 
not so much this year, but probably by 2022, it might start to look a little bit different than it did in 20 and 21 as far as how they just just the usage patterns and the, the reps that they're giving to the, the depth of receivers. I think the snap count's going to get back to maybe what it was in 2018 when K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell were almost equal. And Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon, when they were rotating on a spot, was pretty equal. I think we're going to get back to that with this type of talent going into the room where it's just, just going to be a six-man rotation. No first-rounders in that conversation you just had. None. But if you've got – no, there's no first-rounders in that conversation. But if you've got four first-rounders in a room – or five first rounders in a row. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, that's the it's conversation. It's, it, it is harder. I don't. Ju- I don't know if it's just going to be more of one of those things of like the guys behind just realized you just are not going to play as much the first couple of years when the guys ahead of you are playing, and then in year three, it's your time. Then it's going to be less yeah. equal. But when it's your time, it's your time. Egbuka, like he's a five star. What number of player rating is he in in this class? Steven Emeka Buka, the number nine player, the top wide receiver in the class. And then who Julian Fleming, as we mentioned, the number one wide receiver in his class. Also what number overall 10, player. Also a top 10 player. Let me pull the 2020 up. He is number three overall, the highest rated wide receiver Ohio State's ever had. And then Marvin Until- Harrison Jr. in the class of 21. What's his star rating? What's his overall rating? And number 96 player, the number 14 wide receiver. Four star. Four star. So Marvin Harrison Jr. just just killing the player average here, and although oh, he's yeah. the guy, we were <laughs> heard it. He's the this, new Chris Olave. He's the guy yeah. messing it all up. It's like everybody in the room's top one hundred except Chris Olave. Except in spring, we were like, "Who is that guy?" And it was Marvin Harrison Jr. It was like, "Oh yeah, no, that guy's gonna be good." <laughs> yeah. uh, and again, this is talking about Caleb Burton, who's a five star, like not starting. <laughs> and being in a rotation. So, yeah, it's ridiculous. So, number 33 player, number three wide receiver, but he'll probably be the number one wide receiver in the country again by the time we get to signing day. And, so, and Garrett Wilson did not start as a five star true freshman either. I guess Burton right. would be a second year at that point. Yeah. But it, it all depends on who's. I mean, there's five stars who aren't going to be starting this year that are stuck behind some pretty good guys. So, so again, so for those first five skill players, we're talking about overall player rating in their class. Number one, number three, number nine, number 22, and number 96 for the first five starters as we project the greatest team in college football history. So what I say is that's like, right. I mean, like, again, we talk about it all the time. We're not a Homer podcast, but like, I, I like I'm not, I'm just looking at accumulation. I don't care what their jersey color is. Like if Michigan had accumulated these guys, I'd be like, ah, I think Michigan's going to have the greatest team in college football history in 2023. It just so happens that they're Ohio state guys, but it's just the, it's, it's the combination of a couple things of like getting yours out of Texas and then JTT coming in on top and, and putting a lid on this 21 class just makes it feel like this is not typical. This is above and beyond. Who's the tight end, Nathan. So, um, I went with just a, a assuming that this kind of that the guys who are sophomores this year will still be around for that 2023 season. And it's just a senior led group at that point. I went Cade Stover and G Scott at the top of the depth chart. So if the G Scott tight end transition, and I don't want to call it an experiment because it is, it's a transition. He's doing it. If it hits, like this is when it'll hit because he's going to spend 2021 just like figuring it out, changing his body, learning the basics of blocking, eating, eating, a lot of eating. 
And then in 2022, he's going to start showing flashes. If you like, oh, yeah, no, this guy's hands, right? This is working. Hey, look at him. Yeah, he's a better blocker than I thought. He really, you know, came through and took out that linebacker or whatever, right? We're going to be doing a lot of that. And then by 2023, and I think it is absolutely the right call to expect he'll be here as a fourth-year guy in 2023. Then if it works, it'll be like, oh, yeah, no, G. Scott, he's a tight end. Remember when he was a receiver? Isn't that weird that he came here? as a receiver and now he's a 260 pound tight end who like kills people blocking and like has ride receiver quality hands and is a great route runner and understands the game on an extremely high level. Like that's, I don't think Nathan, that's not a guarantee with a position switch, but that's out there, right? Yeah. I, it could be one of those things too, where it's very selective or very, just a, a like a high hit rate. You know what I mean? Like maybe he isn't going to get a lot of targets. Maybe he's not the starting tight end. Um, and we also, we all know how much the tight end actually gets targeted in this offense regardless, but a, a guy who can really break backs. Um, if, if, you know, a, a team, a defense finally feels like it got all three of those guys covered for one possession, except the, the linebacker who is matched up with G Scott gets burnt and now it's off to the races. Which is what Jeremy Ruckert's been. It's a small doses, but he's had some pretty big plays, whether it was the one-handed catch against in the Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin or the one-hand catch against Alabama in the National Championship game, the two touchdowns against Clemson. That's exactly what G. Scott can be. And maybe he's a better receiver than what Jeremy Rucker was just because he's been a wide receiver his entire life. And I do think in like splitting hairs, I think, to try to call – in a projection like this, who the starter would be, because like who was Ohio State starting tight end last year? Was it Jeremy exactly. Rucker or was it Luke Farrell? It was both of them. Yeah. And I'd they did different here. things. And I think Stover is Farrell and Scott is Rucker. And if this thing works, that's how it's going to go. And so I think we can call them co-starters. I think that's smart. Uh, what do we have for player overall ratings and star ratings for these two guys? G. Scott, first of all, in the class of 2020, Stephen. G. Scott was the number 66 player in the country and the number 10 a wide receiver, four-star recruit in that class, which is hilarious. The number 10 wide receiver in the country is now a tight end. And then Cade Stover obviously came here as a linebacker, was the number 114 player, and the number seven outside linebacker as a four-star recruit. So they take a wide – I mean, it is. It's like, it's like, how do you make a tight end? It's like, well, you can take a receiver and tell him to eat. Or you can take a linebacker and teach him to catch. And that's how you make a tight end. And they're going to try it both ways and see which one works better. And I think it might not be that either one works better. I think it might be that both work and you just wind up with different kind of dudes. So, but I think Kevin Wilson in that tight end room, I mean, it's like if he had like a how to build a tight end, it would be like how to build this kind of tight end and it's Luke Farrell. And it's how to build this kind of tight end and it's Jeremy Rucker. And it's not that both guys can't do both things, but they have a way they lean. And if you can have one of each, like that is what Kevin Wilson and Tim Hinton and this Ohio State offense want. If this works, could you make an argument that Ohio State just shouldn't recruit actual tight ends and just take this you know, philosophy of go take a wide receiver and make him the Jeremy Ruckert and then go take another big guy and make him Luke Farrell? Or is this just a one-off? I don't know if it's a one-off, but I would definitely say don't stop recruiting tight ends. I mean, if you can get, if you can convince someone as good as Jeremy Ruckert, who is known as a tight end coming out of high school, to come to Ohio State, you should do it. But I, they, because of their usage, 
I think that isn't always the plan. They, they do seem to be – It's it, Kevin Wilson talks about tight end being a developmental position the same way offensive line is, and I think Ohio State has really embraced that. I don't know I, that they're ever going to – go ahead. I was uh, The only reason I brought it up is because Jeremy Ruckert is the one-off as a recruit. Typically, you see guys in the 300s, which is what Bennett Christian and you know Benji Gosnell and Joe Royer all are. I think I'd rather – take a linebacker or a receiver in the hundreds and turn them into a tight end and maybe take a tight end who's ranked in the three hundreds that I might agree with. If you can get a top 100 overall player who's mm-hmm. a high school tight end. Okay. But if you can't take a top 100 overall player at a different position, and then after a year be like, you know what you should play <laughs> tight well, end. I would argue also that Stover, I know he was called a linebacker when he got here. Wasn't, doesn't he seem more like the definition of an athlete yeah. in ATH? So I could see them going for guys like that, maybe. I, I don't necessarily think it's necessarily about a position switch. I think it's about identifying a guy who's just a dang good football player and has some of those underlying skills and then developing that. Yeah, because he played linebacker, running back, tight end, wide receiver, quarterback. He was a heck of a basketball player. Then he got here and was at linebacker and then defensive end and now tight end. So, yeah, that's probably a better way of looking maybe you take the wide receiver for the receiving tight end, but then you just go get a freak athlete who can just kind of move all over the place for the Luke Farrell side of it. I mean, what G Scott's trying to do right now is uh, not easy. I think it makes a lot of sense, no. but it's not common and it's, it's not easy. And I'm intrigued by what's going to happen here the next couple of years. Cause I think he's a guy with the right kind of mindset, the right kind of foundation that he could probably pull this off, but it's, it's not easy to take a guy with a wide receiver's body and make him what Ohio state needs from a tight end. I, mean, I think Jeff- that's also the key though, is, you know, as you see what a prototypical wide receiver is, is a lot smaller than what G Scott's natural physical build is. Maybe you can do it more with these bigger receivers who were, Everybody wanted a big receiver in 2008. Most people don't want that anymore. They want the six-one, six-foot guy who can play in the slot and outside. And, and I don't think Ohio State's recruiting that. Yeah, like you're saying, that's that's more what they're recruiting now from mm-hmm. a, a receiver standpoint. Jake Stoneburner was a guy at Ohio State who was kind of a tight end, kind of a receiver, and did both here. And was like, you know, he's bigger than most receivers. He's smaller than most tight ends. He's a really good football player, and they found a way to use him. And so I do think. Again, but they do. I mean, they, 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 you can't be a tight end here and not block. You don't just get to like hang out in the slot and run routes and that's it. And just like take advantage of mismatches with smaller linebackers. Like you have to be able to block with what they want to do in the run game. So that is G Scott's going to get an education in that to a much larger degree than he ever did at receiver. And that's part of the deal. All right. Left tackle. Does it still fair Munford? Will his eligibility? I don't understand <laughs> the pandemic eligibility. <laughs> uh maybe i think he's what he's gonna do is he's gonna play this year and then um he'll go to the nfl for a couple of years and then he'll come back and use that last year of phantom eligibility um this is another one where i don't think the answer to this question is on the roster or probably even committed right now is it jc latham is he the answer? He just happens to be in Alabama right now. I, I don't think it'll come through the transfer portal. I think they're they're gonna they're trying to land a left tackle in this class, and I think uh, for 2022, I should say, and I think that they hope that that guy's ready by 2023 because this is kind of a, a an empty spot. Maybe there's one exception, and it's gonna. I've got that person at the other end of the line right now. We can come back to that in a second. But I so I, right now I'm penciling in Zach Rice. I mean, isn't that the guy that is sort of out in front of this? or Emil Wagner, but one of those guys, I think that's probably the answer here. 
In a perfect world, yeah, it's Zach Rice, the number one tackle in the country, number five player. And obviously, yes, Emil Wagner is still out there as well as a borderline top 100 guy. But in a perfect world, yes, Zach Rice is your starting left tackle in 2023. Or, you you know, the other uh, thing that's unlikely. Do you think that Ryan Day and Mark Pantone and Greg Studrawa have this 2023 depth chart up on a wall? And it's like depth chart of greatest team in college football history. And there's a big hole at left tackle and they bring Zach Rice in and they say, that's where you go. That's what I would do. I think, I, 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 think, mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what that depth chart would look like right now. Kind of um, again, there, there's one other little wrinkle. So uh, well, I'll just jump ahead to this. We can have the full conversation. Is it right tackle? I put Dewan Jones as a starting right tackle. Tegra Shabola behind him. But Dewan Jones did not redshirt his true freshman year. He's got another year to play with. And for him to take the extra year afforded by the pandemic is not throwing off his clock and asking him to do something weird. It just gives him an extra year. And I could totally see him sticking around for that fifth year. So that would be his fifth year, year, not his, yeah, fifth not year, his yeah. sixth year. Yeah, 2019 was his first year. Yeah, sorry. That would be his fifth year. 2019, 2021. So fifth year and a guy that Greg Studrawa has said he thinks he has first round draft pick upside, but is about as big of a developmental project, I think, as I can remember Ohio State taking. When you talk about a guy who you think can be great, but has a lot of ground to cover to get there. And that if he's like a and and then you had a pandemic year thrown in there. Yeah. So if he is legitimate, like a, like a three and a half year project to get him to what he is and that what you're trying to get him to is not just like a serviceable, good big 10 starting tackle, but like, no, 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 no. Like we think he's a dude. It just took him a long time to be a dude. Cause he was basically a basketball player when he got here, but great feet, big frame, long arms, great athlete learning to play tackle. I, I think that is very interesting and i buy it i don't dispute any part of you putting him there nathan i think the other key here is you've got to in this day and age you've got to keep those guys here because i mean could he go play at like ball state now maybe and actually ball state's pretty good but you know what i'm saying like could he go somewhere else and get maybe right into the starting lineup even at this stage of his career um probably but let's remember that as soon as next year 2022 with Petit Frere and we assume Thayer Munford finally gone, that they're going to need tackles and he could be a starter next year. And this could be actually his second year as a starter in 2023. Since there's no tackles in this class, I'll just throw out some other potentials for the 2022 class. Obviously, Zach Rice, Tyler Booker, the number 42 player, the number five tackle in the country at IMG, and then Cam Dewberry, number 101 and number 10 among tackles. Those are some guys to keep in mind as we're doing this. And there is another person who is on the roster that I want to, I do want to throw out there, but I I want to get through the rest of the offensive line first to see if Nathan names one of them. Well, are you talking about Paris Johnson? No. Okay, let's talk about Paris Johnson then, because if Paris Johnson's here, he's not playing guard. So right, 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 right. right. I don't know if Monica Johnson listens to Buckeye Talk or not. Uh, she's a very involved parent. Um, there also could be Operation Beg Paris. And Operation Beg Paris could be helped by the fact that he's playing guard right now. 
So he's playing guard at 21, and we have talked about, all right, well, didn't start as a true freshman when he could have. Honestly, he could have in a lot of places. Playing guard as a sophomore when, frankly, he might be one of the best tackles in the country if you let him play it. Play tackle one year in 2022 and then go pro as like a top 10 pick. Or come back, stay, and play tackle for a second year in 2023. Paris Johnson is really smart. He is academically oriented. I don't want to get into, you know, it's not like, oh, well, he cares. And that means he'll stay for his degree. Listen, you can be academically oriented and go to the NFL because that's that because you're smart. And the smart move is go be the number seven pick in the draft and, and go to the NFL right now. Get your degree Get later. Your degree. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not. I, but I mean, this is a really well-rounded guy from a really smart family. And I don't like, you know, it's not impossible. Of course, you can't bank on it. The guy has top 10 pick talent. But man. Again, I don't know. It's like I don't want to take millions of dollars out of Paris Johnson's pocket by having him stay for a fourth year, not to not to sway him to anything. But you could show Nathan. You could show him your depth chart and say, "See that hole? That's where you go." Second greatest offensive lineman in Ohio State history. You go right there. It's I not even that. that. Just don't erase the name. He's already on it. This we just don't, yeah, you don't have to put the whole name yeah. yet, Paris. Um, but I, I think, especially for a left tackle, I, I again we've had this discussion before. I'm I'm not nearly as concerned about him only getting one year at tackle as far as what it means for his pro potential. And man, if you hit in the NFL as a left tackle, that second contract can be a doozy. And the sooner you get to that second contract, then maybe you're tacking another one on after that and another one on after that. And it's uh, just being realistic. I think, I think Paris Johnson staying for 2023 is a, if you're putting out the whole, the spectrum of outcomes, it's, it's plausibly in the spectrum, but it's certainly not the expectation at this point. And I think if you're making a prediction, you have to assume that he has done what he came here to do by then. There. I think that's right. So, mm-hmm. frankly, I mean, the 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 first five skill position spots, especially quarterback, running back, three receivers, it's like there's too many options. It's like, well, you could take that guy out, they'd still be okay because they still got this, this, and this, and the other thing. Tight ends, interesting, not quite as high level, but interesting and pretty clear. They're going to be older guys, but I really do think we think they'll both still be here. Scott and Stover will still be here in 2023. These are actually bigger question marks at tackle than I originally thought, Nathan, when we started doing this exercise. Because, like, for instance, for this Ohio State team right now in 2021, no questions. Tackle's like lockdown, no doubt about it. Now, Thayer Munford emerged as the type of player. If you had done a 2021 depth chart prediction three years earlier, you would not have put Thayer Munford at left tackle in part because you would have been like, well, he's not allowed to stay. What are you, what, what are we going to have a global pandemic that gives everybody right. an extra year? So you wouldn't have seen that coming, but even just based on the type of player that he was, right? That, I mean, he did start as a sophomore, but you I mean, he exceeded his recruiting ranking. So again, this is one of those things. Maybe Zen Machalski is in here. I don't know, like random lower rated offensive linemen of whom there are like five or six on this roster. And if Josh Fryer is like a, Whatever. Okay, if since we're here, prior, yeah. he, he's actually who I had at backup left tackle. I, I think I skipped. Okay, yeah, that. that that was my name. Then I was going to say that. What if he's the starting right or left tackle? Because Greg Chadrawa has said that he can play guard or tackle. But here's the thing: as I was looking, and I, you're right, Doug, that there are several of those guys on this roster. 
you can correct me if you're if I'm wrong because you were here at the time. But I always got the impression that when Munford came here, his recruiting ranking did not really necessarily reflect. I think people assumed that maybe he was a little bit underrated. Yes, I think that's fair. And and, and like the fact I, that he was late to the class was more about getting his situation in order than it was talent. Right. And I don't know that that's true of any of those guys with similar rankings on this potential depth chart. No, I think that's also fair. I mean, they're just guys who kind of were here in a transitional class, a couple guys who they got because they missed on some other guys and that that is just the reality at tackle. And again, you can't hit everywhere, but it's possible that they're a little like of all the places for 2023, we're like, they're right on target. You might be in between like Paris Johnson just left and your perfect next left tackle isn't quite all the way ready yet. Right. And that could be one of the things that as this team with all this skill talent is getting ready, you know, is in camp in 2023. And it's going to be like, man, Ryan Day, you've got this and this and this. And he's been like, yeah, but we got to figure out tackle. Go ahead, Nathan. Well, I was about to say, too, uh, let's be let's keep it real. If they get to the end of the 2022 season and they're looking at this depth chart and maybe for whatever reason they didn't get the five-star or highly acclaimed left tackle for that class that they wanted and um, and they're looking at this next tier down as being the answer, all of a sudden somebody's in the portal. or so, I mean, a, or it, somebody mm-hmm. in the portal is on their way to Columbus, I mean. like the, it, all, all of a sudden, like the best left tackle in the country that isn't already playing for Alabama or Clemson or Texas or whoever in Florida – who just showed up the magic depth chart. Yeah. You go to the left tackle for West Virginia and be like, you know, you see this depth chart, you know, who goes right there. You that's your spot transfer here. I don't know if that's how the portal works. I actually think that's not exactly how you're allowed to do it, but it's not supposed to, but <laughs> let's maybe he listens. Maybe the West Virginia left tackle just happens to listen to Buckeye talk. And he's they like, don't huh. say it to him. they don't say it to him directly, but word trickles down. Let's trickle I mean, down economics of college football. I mean, Ryan Day can say something like to the effect of, boy, we sure don't know who our left tackle is going to be next year. And it's like alarm bells go off in, yeah. in football buildings around the country and guys start lining up. Which, I mean, if we had let it, if we let it, that reality can void an exercise like this. Because it's like, well, the other thing you have to remember is that any player in the country could be on any different team in the country three years from now because nothing is real. It can, yeah, it can void it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it, it, it answers questions where you don't know what the answer is. I think for the most part, you can still do two year projections like this. It's just if you get to a spot like where we're at right now with the left tackle, where we're not quite sure, you can go transfer portal. But you, I don't know if you're, we're not going to do that for every single spot every single year. I do think it's like at a lower level program, it would be the reverse that if you're doing this at uh, Rutgers and you yeah. have a guy that you really think might be like an all American level guy, that you have a great incoming freshman right now. And you're like, man, let's do a depth chart when he's a junior, whatever it's going to be like, Oh, when he's a junior and he's playing for Alabama, you know, that like, that's where, where I think the portal here is if you have, if you see a hole in an Ohio state depth chart, it's probably going to be filled. If you see a guy on a mid tier level program who looks awesome. And is like, boy, this is the best guy in this depth chart. It's like, well, 
he's so good he could leave. I think that is a reality that like you're gonna have to do that on on the Go Rutgers podcast, but on Scarlet and Night Talk, on Swamp Monster Talk, on Swamp Monster Talk, you would have to give the caveat of like, oh, the three best guys that we're projecting may be gone. And that's not, that's just reality. And maybe Greg Shiano will laugh in the face of that and like they'll never lose anybody, but that's it's the portal world, baby. All right. Little more uncertainty at tackle than I expected. Nathan, let's go left guard, or if you want to go left guard, right guard at the same time, however you want to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you guys feel differently, but I don't really know how to differentiate between left and right right now with it's projecting random. it. And so I, I said as my starters, well, Donovan Jackson will be starting. Yes. At my other starting spot, I was going to put either Enoch Vamahi or Ryan Jacoby, like whichever one maybe wins out over the next few years. These are guys who are both redshirt sophomores this year. They would be 50 or seniors in 2023. And then Ben Christman in the mix as a backup guy. He is a um, uh, freshman right now, but uh, of, of the guys – uh, the most highly ranked of kind of that like next group of guys. So I, I, I slid him in there as a backup for this year, but also a guy who probably could contend to be a starter too. How good can Chrisman be? Do you think Steven, is he a guy that, that is legitimate guy to project as a significant starter? Yeah, I think because he's versatile, can play anywhere on the line of scrimmage, which I, I don't know. He's not going to be Donovan Jackson, but I think he can be, what does this be? His third year. I think he can be, by his third or fourth year, Jonah Jackson, a pretty, pretty quality uh, left guard for you. If that's what you're looking for, I think he can be that. I think that's his ceiling. Um, or maybe his ceiling is he's the ultimate utility guy where you can play him. He can know left tackle. He can know left guard, right guard, right tackle. And he can be the, the sixth offensive lineman who just slides all over the place and is playing every single position by the end of the year. Who do you have at center? Luke Whipler. Okay. Luke Whippler as a senior, right? As a fourth-year guy? Yes. I think he'd be technically a redshirt junior, right? But fourth-year, yeah. Okay. Fourth-year guy. Yeah. yeah. And then okay. I put Jacob James behind him for now. A guy, he's, he's a redshirt freshman right now. He was getting some time at center this spring. Um, just because I didn't know who else would maybe be in that center mix uh, on this current roster. Okay, on the current roster, if we were going to go – some guy, I mean, there was a true freshman backup center in 2019. Maybe Josh Padilla as a true freshman in the 2023 class is just backing up Luke Whippler that year. I would just throw that out there. That's getting really far down, though, if it's if it's talking about potential commitments for 2023. So much so, of that is still undecided. So I am surprised at how relatively – kind of uncertain this offensive line means and maybe it's just because it feels it's just maybe it's just because you know like i don't know it's offensive linemen we don't act like we know as much as we do about like oh you know we think caleb burton's gonna be great and maybe it's just that but also i guess it is like this this 2020 recruiting class for ohio state so the guys would be fourth year players in 2023 if you think paris johnson's gonna be gone is paris johnson gone Luke Whippler starting as a fourth year guy. And then, then it's this big group of guys at the bottom of that class, Grant Tutant, Josh Fryer, um, Jacob James and Trey LaRue, who you just don't know about, who are just lower rated guys. So that's a reality. And then 2021 Donovan Jackson, like big time, big time dude. 
um, a top 100 national player, right? But then again, like a decent amount of uncertainty because they didn't quite hit on, you know, they didn't get JC Latham or whatever. So I, I actually, I'm, I'm like dialed back all of a sudden. Like this, this offensive line is not as good as this year's offensive line. It will not be as good as the 2022 offensive line either, because you can project right now the 2022 offensive line, you assume, will obviously have a third-year Paris Johnson, probably at his natural position to left tackle, probably have Harry Miller back, probably have Matthew Jones back, you have a second-year Donovan Jackson. Like That's going to be, I think, a better offensive line than what this 2023 one looks like. On paper. Zinn Macholsky is interesting, especially in, in the world of Thayer Mumford. He's not going to be a three-year starter, obviously, but that was a guy and how you guys were talking about Thayer Mumford kind of being a late bloomer with some situations, and maybe his final ranking didn't actually reflect how good he was. Zen started moving up some rankings even before the Ohio State offer came when he was still a Louisville commit. He was starting to trudge his way up the rankings. It was just later on in the process. So that's a guy where – I, I think it's interesting if he can start to put on the weight and maybe in year three, he pops as a guy where we're talking about these lower rated guys who might be a hidden gem. I, he's pretty interesting because their rankings are pretty similar. Obviously, Thayer Mumford was 285, 286 or something like that. Zimatoski 310 two, and then number 22 among offensive tackles. But I think he can move play play guard just as easily. The, the thing, though, that and, and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that. But like at every other position, it's like first choice mm-hmm. guys. It's first choice guys. And just based on how they recruited him, he's not a first choice guy. They went to him. He was committed somewhere else and they went and got him because he's like, the, he's like Mayan Williams. It doesn't mean that Mayan Williams can't be good, but it wasn't the plan. They went and got Mayan Williams after they didn't get B. John Robinson. Zemachowski wasn't the plan. They went and got him after they missed on other guys. And so when you think about this line. 40% of it will be not first choice guys probably well so donovan jackson and, and luke whipler would definitely be first choice guys right are those the right. two that chrisman if you think about i might put chrisman more projected as a starter than vamahi or jacoby first choice be- guy because he's one of the a first early commi- guy. one of the early commitments he committed july 18 months out in it as a matter of fact it was jack sawyer kyle mccord Jaden ballard and then ben chrisman in that order as far as commits and then what about tackle I'm not now. I'm gun shy about saying guys' names wrong. Say it again. Tegra's last name. Tegra Shabola. Yeah. Tegra Shabola. He's he's a first choice guy, right? Is that fair to call him a first choice he was guy? A, he was the second commit in the 2022 class. So if he's ready, if he's ready as a second year guy, you're getting there. And then if you get if you get Zach Rice, right? But but it's just to not have Paris to not have Harry Miller as as Nathan was saying. And even like Dewan Jones is a great story and a really interesting guy. I mean, it is a, it is certainly a project. And it's like, it's just one of those things. Again, it's like, can you imagine if we were projecting a cornerback starter for Ohio State? It was like, oh, who's your starter quarterback? It's like, oh, it's this fifth year guy who like played basketball in high school. And it took him three and a half years kind of to learn the position. But if he could figure it out, they thought it could be really good. It'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not a cornerback at Ohio state. So I understand that offensive linemen are different. And a lot of times their path in college and the way they develop is different. There are more question marks here, Nathan, than I realized, which I'm assuming you felt as you put it together on the offensive line. Well, yes and no. I mean, like, let's talk about, okay. So like Ben Christman, you guys make a good point considering him more like a, a first choice guy, but also an in-state guy, which also helps explain why he was such an early commit. Enoch Vamahi and he are basically had the same score, like same prospect score. 
I think Jamahi was like 94-45 and Chrisman is 94-39 in two different classes, but almost exactly the same and, and roughly ranked about the same. And that was a guy that, you know, Ohio State spent time and capital to go all the way to Hawaii and recruit him. So I, it's, it's guys that maybe the recruiting ranking, obviously they weren't blue chip guys by the standards that we, we think of, but even for a team like this, that, that is assembling all this talent, there's probably gonna have to be somebody where you settle for like a top 125 guy as a starter, which shouldn't be a catastrophe. Yes. Yes, it's just it's just hard because of the standards at so many other positions. That's what so, it is. Yeah, it, Ohio State's offensive line recruiting isn't as shiny as everybody else has been at some point. Greg Stroud, as we talked about earlier in the spring when we did the most valuable recruiter pod on BFF, Greg Stroud's recruiting hasn't been as shiny. And even the shiny guys he has gotten, it's been with the help of guys like Ryan Day. But I also would push back on the word shiny because shiny to me sounds like oh, it's just shiny but it doesn't mean as good as they're better players. They are. I mean, like they're better players. I, I don't like even, even Vamaki like, was a desperation move. I'm not saying he's not a good player, but he was floating out there at the end. And Ryan day flew to Hawaii for 15 minutes because they were desperate. So that doesn't mean that a, a guy that you get out of desperation doesn't help you, but it's just so much of what they do in recruiting right now is execute the plan, execute the plan, execute the plan, execute the plan. And there's just a couple spots here where it's not quite as clear as, as other spots. Now, no, that I, I, I did think that I did think that as I was going through. And again, it's one of the reasons why I've talked about, you know, don't forget about 2022 because there, this is one important area where they're going to be stronger there and still have some of this supporting cast around it too. They really yeah. needed to hit on J.C. Latham because that's that's really what the problem is here because Alabama went and got the top two offensive tackles in the country with J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockemeyer. And so you miss on J.C. Alabama steals J.C. Latham from under your nose and then you try to get in late on Tristan Lee and he notices that you got in late and really only picked up your recruiting with him because you saw J.C. Latham trending towards Alabama and now you're stuck with nothing. What else can still happen for 2022, Stephen? Like we've talked about the tackle. We think there's going to be a, a, some kind of a major left tackle signee for 2022, but what else? Cause they've only got one offensive line commitment for 2022 right now. Right. And that's just Bola. Yeah. The, the plan is three or four guys and obviously Zach rise, Tyler Booker, Cam Dewberry, Emil Wagner, kind of the choices that often on the out for offensive tackle. And then an Ernest green on the interior, they're not going heavy with offensive linemen in this class, which is to the point of, they probably believe that some of these lower rated guys that are probably hidden gems are going to hit on more than one of those people. All that being said, here's the recruiting ranking by their class for some of the guys we're talking about here. Donovan Jackson, who's, the biggest first choice guy among this group would be a third year guy, number 18 in his class. Ben Chrisman, who'd be a third year guy, number 123 in his class. Vamahi, who'd be a fifth year guy, number 124 in his class. Whipler, who'd be a fourth year senior, number 108 in his class. Shibola as a sophomore, number 185 in his class. So that's that's five guys who are ranked among the top 200 players in the country. Which is like, again, I mean, if you did that anywhere else that wasn't Alabama or Ohio State, you'd be like, great. Offensive lines of strength. It's just in comparison to everything else. And so, but if they could, I think it, if they could land that five-star tackle in this class, that would be 
huge. So not that people yep. weren't aware of that and on alert for that before, but this really crystallizes it to me. But but if that guy is ready, because Ohio State has gotten some five-star guys and not felt like they were ready for that as early as their second year, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, you're right. And part of that is because Nicholas Petit Frere just couldn't put on the weight. It took him well, three I'm years. Talking about to White Davis. I'm also talking about Josh Myers. Like Those guys weren't starting at the start of their second year or most of their second year. No, yeah. they weren't. Yeah, you, you're right. I, I, there might have been an argument to be made though that Wyatt Davis could have won a job as a sophomore, especially the way he played at the end of the season when Demetrius no, Knox, Knox went down. But they weren't being blocked by superstars, you know, right. Brandon Bowen and Demetrius Knox and guys like that. I mean, it's not they weren't being blocked by five star first round draft picks, you know, and they had to go get they went and got Jonah Jackson, who was a an all big 10 pick because they felt like they needed help there. So yeah. maybe they'll go get a guy here. But if you could add a tackle here, and it's just one of those things. I mean, this is how it works. You're strong at one spot when you – I mean, my gosh, Paris Johnson, holy moly. Operation Beg Paris, fully underway. Um, but I don't know. It's <laughs> like, is it going to hold Is it going to hold them back? They, I guess they could still win the national title. They just maybe won't be the greatest team of all time. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about, I guess. I don't know if <laughs> – I don't know if this offensive line is is unimpressive enough that we think they're going to start giving up a bunch of sacks and not be able to run the ball. No, I mean, I, we don't really think that. And listen, there's yeah. always a guy. Like, as much as it's like it's hard to hone in on the guy, there usually is always one guy, even at Ohio State, among your starting offensive linemen, where you're like, I didn't see that guy coming. You know, so like, there's a Pat Elf line lurking out there, right? I mean, there's a Brandon Bowen lurking out there. Maybe it's Jacob James. Maybe it's Josh Fryer. Maybe, you know, there are candidates for this. Maybe it's Ryan Jacoby, who's just like, wow, maybe that guy's not an All-American. That guy's a really good Big Ten offensive lineman. So if you if you really get what you expect out of Jackson and Whipler and guys like that, and then you can add maybe one surprise, you'll actually be okay. It's just not filled with five-star sure things like so many other positions. Okay, that's the offensive depth chart is put together by Ryan, uh, Nathan Baird, not Ryan Baird. It's Ryan Jacoby by Nathan Baird. If you want to be a tech subscriber, we have some stuff popping. Uh, I started a Mount Rushmore thing where we're trying to find the top four guys at different Ohio state positions. We're going to do that for the next couple of weeks. The quarterbacks have gone out to the tech subscribers. That voting is underway. I gave them 14 quarterbacks to rank, and we're going to figure out which four guys are going to be on Ohio state's Mount Buckmore. I called it. So, We'll see how that goes. We'll try to do it with receiver and running back and linebacker and cornerback and coach and some other places where I think there's an interesting debate around like who's third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and some of this stuff. So tech subscribers are getting to do that. We're going to start the bracket soon on the best Ohio state games, uh, basically of this century. We'll get that going soon. And then we just have like, you know, when recruiting stuff hits, we text that out. We know we take your questions um, that we answer in text and we also answer on podcasts. So if you want to be part of that, again, we're almost there to big 10 meetings, give it a try. 614-350-3315. Write it down. 614-350-3315. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug, Nathan, Stephen, I'm going to give you one more piece of homework because I just recorded this this week. Um, actually, it was disappointing. My mic was a little weird. My mic was super hot. I hope my mic is not super hot for this podcast as you're listening to it. Do I sound super hot? No, it, this this sounds okay. But I, I told you there was the episode. It was the Brandon Huffman episode where your mic was pretty hot. And I think some of our texters noticed. Oh, well. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Was I hot the whole time or in places? Your mic was hot. 
Well, that's you true. are not. Hot. I'm always hot. My mic was hot the entire episode. No, I think it was only for um, the portion where we were talking to Brandon. Weird, because yeah. I was hot. So I recorded our the National College Football Show that we're starting, and I was hot the whole time, and I don't know what it was. So we're trying to figure out how to unhot me um, and get that out to you guys. If we have to re-record it, we will, or we'll figure it out. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's my. It was book. like that. Um, the podcast when um, you did like the seven rants. You were you you were a peak Doug that day, but yeah, it had these little peak moments where it would spike. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because I know I spike sometimes, but it was weird. That I, it's weird to me when I'm that way the whole time. All right. I guess I got to get it fixed. Um, I'll talk to the big bosses because, you know, can't be having that. Sorry if it hurts your ears in previous podcasts. But anyway, I recorded the National College Football Podcast with my co-host there, Shahan J. Haraja from Texas. And uh, we decided it, the basis of that National College Football Podcast is Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama and Clemson are always in the playoff discussion. They've taken up 20 of the 28 spots. Who else deserves to be in the playoff discussion this year? Each week, we're going to add a team and say, should they be? Should they join a discussion or not? We'll debate them and decide whether we add them or not. And then once we get to the season, we'll be maybe adding a team each week and then maybe kicking out a team each week, like whether you belong in the discussion still. And then whoever's in the discussion, we're going to compare all those teams in a different area each week. So this first episode was, should Texas A&M? Join that discussion. We debated that. And then we debated who has the easiest path to the playoff among the teams that we think are in that mix. So that's what that podcast is. And then we did a Q&A. And frankly, the Q&A is going to be tech subscribers to the National College Pod, but we don't have any subscribers yet because we haven't done a pod yet. It's been out. So it was Buckeye Talk subscribers who asked the national questions. And I put out the call. And of course, Buckeye Talk subscribers came through with like 70 different questions about national college football. Shahan and I did 10. That's going to be wherever you find podcasts. It's called the College Football Playoff Show with Doug Maurice. Look for that. Subscribe to that so you don't miss it. The, the Q&A is going to be for subscribers only. The other one's going to be free. The main one will be free. But we're also going to have a tech subscription to that. It's a buck because we're not going to text as often as we do for Buckeye Talk. So it's a dollar. And then that dollar also is going to get you the second pod when that does go to behind a paywall only for subscribers. So that's what it is. And this is why I'm telling you it again is because we have a number for it now. So I know, you know, the number 614-350-3315. That's to subscribe and be a tech subscriber to Buckeye Talk. If you want to try this other thing for a 14 day free trial, a dollar a month after that, here's the number. Get ready to write this down. You'll learn this one too, eventually. Although I, I'm not going to constantly always promote the other show on his show. 817-442-6789. The reason it's an 817 area code is because that's for Grapevine, Texas, which is where the College Football Selection Committee meets. So I wanted to act like we're there. 817-442-6789. You send the text there, you'll get signed up for a 14-day free trial and try out that college football playoff show. God, I hope I'm not hot right now. Audio, man. Technology. Technology. Defensive end. Let's start there. I think they're going to be pretty good, right? They got that figured yeah. out? Yeah, I think I think they'll be all right. Well, at least, I mean, as far as the starters, I think they're set. I mean, you know, Jack Sawyer, JT, Tui Maloa. Um, now, behind them, I wasn't 100% sure what to do. You know, Jacoby Cowan and Darian Henry Young are both still listed as defensive ends. 
we'll see if that's their long-term fit. Um, we've always talked about, you know, which guys sometimes slide inside over the course of their career. I also think that it's possible that um, actually on here, I wrote down some 2022 dude that, that may also be an answer here as far as depth at that position. But Jack Sawyer and JTT are going to be on the field all the time and take like 90% of the Basically, snaps. I guess. You would think so. This is their, this is their, this is, I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast is because we think that those guys as third year guys might be the two best defensive players in college football, right? I don't know what that's based on other than like, they're the two best defensive players in the current recruiting class. And like a lot of times, most of the time when Ohio state gets a dude like this as a recruit, they kind of convert that as a dude. So I don't think it's a leap to assume this. So I don't know that we need a ton of discussion there. They're going to take a lot of the snaps, but it does make me curious what we think they're going to do at defensive tackle there, Nathan, 2023. Well, I think Mike Hall is an obvious answer at defensive tackle. Um, no, they're three tech. I, I didn't really separate those, but I mean, of the okay. guys available, I think he might trend more towards nose. Okay. Um, and then I think as your other starter, I, I was thinking, you know, again, this is somebody who doesn't have the re- recruiting pedigree necessarily, but someone like Ty Hamilton has I- impressed a little bit uh, behind the scenes as a freshman. Does he emerge and take over at some point? Um, Tyleek Williams is uh, was on campus this spring and, and is, is already in with this 2021 class, but also a guy without a, a big recruiting upside necessarily. You know, Jade McKenzie will be a veteran presence at that point. So I'm not really sure. I mean, this both lines, other than the defensive end, but really I, I thought there were some interior defensive line questions too here um, as to who emerges and establishes himself as three of the spots. I think they're fine. It's that fourth spot that I, to me, is a little bit of a question mark. I think they might be three deep at both interior spots in 2023. And you just might see a, a 2019 situation where they're just rotating those guys, which is why I'm glad you said Ty Hamilton is basically being Davon Hamilton 2.0. And then Mike Hall is just like the starting nose tackle. And he just kind of erupts it. But I, I think we, it just might be a situation where it's just three deep. And then you just play Jack Sawyer and JT Tumulau and every single relevant snap on the outside. You mean three deep at each spot? So six guys edge. are rotating inside? Yeah. So who are the six then total? If we're talking uh, about Mike Hall, Hamilton, Williams, who else? Uh, Jaden Mc, McKenzie. I think Jacoby Cowan. I think he's going to move back inside. And I think there is a 2020, some 2022 dudes who are still on the board right now who have second-year guys might make it into the rotation at that point. Okay. And Mike Hall is like a big-time dude. And like the idea of Top Mike Hall – being with Jack Sawyer and JTT is like, oh, that's good for my call, right? That like we we think, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, people, Stephen, people think my call is like he's an Ohio guy, so it's sometimes easy to get overlooked. But people think my call's a dude, right? He's a number fifty-two player in the country, number ten defensive lineman. Yeah, he's supposed to come in here and be a dude. Okay, uh, good fifty-two. That's pretty high. So you're talking about, and again, what are Sawyer and JTT by our rankings that we use? Jack Sawyer, <laughs> this is ridiculous. The number four player, the number three defensive lineman in the country, and JT is the number three player and the number two defensive lineman in the country. Okay. So that's three guys in the top 52 on your defensive line. Yeah. Um, Nathan, that's pretty good, right? When you were looking at the defensive line, you felt pretty good about how things were shaping up. 
I mean, yeah, as far as that top layer at those three spots, there's really not much more you could ask for, I don't think. Um, now, as Steven is kind of talking, I, I, the depth is not – some of these other spots, you know, especially on offense, you can look and see a some really impressive stuff as you go farther down the list. I don't know that I necessarily feel that way right now about this defensive line, nor do, obviously do I feel that way about, about the offensive line. And I think that third spot is, is something to answer too. But, I mean, the, 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 you're getting quite a head start or by the fourth spot, I mean, not the third spot, the fourth spot. But you're obviously off to quite a head start when, with the three guys that you're talking about here. All right, let's go to linebacker. And however you want to do this, whether you want to talk about two guys or two in a bullet or three guys or whatever. I think it's two guys in a bullet. I'm assuming that the bullet is going to you know, start this year and then they're going to establish it. So, I mean, let's start there. I mean, I think it could be the same three guys that are playing it this year. I mean, they'll all still, they're all very early in their careers. It could still be Craig Young, Ronnie Hickman, Court Williams in some combination for that 2023 season. They would be, you know, seniors and juniors at that point, fourth year guys. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of Ohio State fans are waiting for a healthy Court Williams to see what that looks like. And I think in the imagination of a lot of Ohio State media and Ohio State fans, like I could see this being like, wow, this is a team propelled by third-year guys, topped off by a second-year quarterback, but like fourth-year Court Williams is like the leader of this team like everybody follows court Williams and like, he's, he's like the guy, right. Um, maybe with like, like second year CJ Hicks right in line behind him, like, like I'm next on the leadership of like whose team this is. But I mean, court Williams seemed like a 25 year old man when we talked to him on signing day, when he got here in February, 2020. So, um, I feel like nothing against Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman, but I feel like that's Court Williams' spot, and we're just waiting for him to be completely healthy, get on the field, and do what I think a lot of people are expecting him to do. And I think it makes sense for him, having lost all of last year to an injury, just what it seems like the kind of player he is. I mean, it doesn't mean he doesn't have the talent to be a three-and-done guy, but I think it's reasonable to have him on this roster in 2023. The way we talked about the secondary, how – at least I, I feel like there's some young guys who might take some older guys spots, even though the older guys are back. I think we might see that over the next two years here at the bullet where it's probably Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman this year, since court is coming off an injury, but over the next two years, it's going to be more court Williams and CJ Hicks running that spot. If CJ ends up playing it as two much more talented human beings playing that role. And I just think guys like that are so crucial that they've got to have some fourth and fifth year guys on top of this third year group mm-hmm. to help pull everything together. And when you, when you think about who those guys are, you know, look, Whipler could be a guy like that. G Scott could be a guy like that. Julian Fleming could be a guy like that, but I do think a lot of it is potentially on the defensive side of the ball where there's going to be just some of this electric sort of third year offensive talent and, and, on the defensive side of the ball, there's going to be a couple more guys who have been around the block a little bit. And Court Williams is at the front of that list, and I'm sure we'll get to a couple more here, Nathan. Who you got for linebacker? So this is a little bit tricky, too, because it, I don't – because now that they're switching things around, we're still kind of getting a grasp on how they see certain guys and where they would fit them. 
So my first run through this, and I'm I'm open to changing this based on your what you guys think here. But my first run through this, I threw Gabe Powers and C.J. Hicks inside at will, and kept Cody Simon and Reed Carico at Mike. And that's how I kind of saw those two inside linebacker things splitting up. I tried to pick the guys who I thought were maybe a little bit more um, could do like Pete Werner slash. Malik Harrison type things like have a little bit more mobility and, and throw them at that, that will spot. So I, I, that's why I thought powers and Hicks might fit, but I'm, I'm open to other ideas. I like Simon Carrico as the mic. I think that's pretty spot on. I also like gay powers at will. I think that's just what he is with going to see him play in person and also seeing him at some camps. That's he's going to be a will linebacker. CJ is hard because CJ can play four different positions at Ohio State, which is why I threw his name in the bullet conversation as the Craig Young side of it. He could be a will linebacker. He could be a bullet. Um, he could end up being a safety or he could be another Pete Warner situation where he's a Sam linebacker and he's so good that you just forget about the bullet for the year and just play CJ Hicks all those snaps. So it's 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 hard with him because – it's not a jack of all trades, master of none situation. It's a master of three or four different spots type of situation with him. And there's another guy in the 2023 class who's like that. But since CJ Hicks is already committed, I wouldn't be mad if you put him at any of these linebacker spots or the bullet spot. And then we also have to think about what would happen with Desan McCullough after he transfers to Ohio State from Indiana. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he plays with his family for a year just to say he could, that he did it. But then when it's time to go win a national title, he's like, hey, Dad, go on over here. You should go back to Kansas City and go work, go work with those running backs again. Or it's like Tony Alford gets a head coaching job and they hire his dad. Ohio State replaces Tony Alfred <laughs> with Dylan McCullough. And then it's like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen with that. Mm, let's see. Um, so now, again, this is where we're talking about some stuff here. So Cody Simon would be a fourth-year guy on that team, number 75 overall recruit in the country. Reed Carrico would be a third-year guy, number 86 overall player in the country. And C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers would be second-year guys, number 18 and number 38 overall guys in the country. So Nathan, like as you were putting linebacker together, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some moving parts here. Right. But did you like the parts? Yeah, I think it's, it, it, it trends on being like, is there too much talent here? Like is, is everybody still going to be around because you start stacking guys up at, at linebacker in a way that they don't really have right now. They're on the sort of the cusp of it. Um, well, right now, there's still a lot more question marks by, by, I mean, 2021, I feel like more question marks. But for 2023, this seems like you are just really layering guys up on top of each other. And I, I kind of agree with Steven, too, that when you if you look at this from a, a two linebackers and then a bullet situation. It, it, you almost do, I think maybe they maybe they do end up splitting that position somehow between a, a conventional Sam on early downs and then the bullet on later down, something like that. I don't know, but like, do you have to find a way to play more than just three starting linebackers and have sort of three and a half starters or whatever? Um, because because it makes more sense to get a guy like CJ on the CJ Hicks on the field more. Now, I mean, they do though. They only have two linebackers in 2022 right now. They only signed one linebacker in 2021. The way things shook out, and so and then in 2020, you know, we probably can throw like a guy like Mitchell Melton into the discussion a little bit. Could he still be around as a fourth year guy? But I think like 2023 to me is when you're going to see 
I mean, you know, I don't know where CJ Hicks and, and uh, Gabe power is going to come in and like start his, his freshman next year. And I, like, no, I don't think that's a reasonable thing, but like I, to me, 2023 is when you start to see like the flowering of Al Washington's work really coming around that, right. You know, that, that this 20, the 2022 class is where, you know, and if they add one more, it's like, okay, now they, this is a thing. And, and I think this is where you'd see the products of that. Um, but there is, I mean, there's, there's a couple little, you know, they're not, they're not totally overflowing with linebacker talent, but I think they'd be set again, especially if you're only trying to put, if you have four guys that you really believe in by that point, which I think it would be reasonable to really believe in Simon Carrico powers and Hicks by 2023. And that's four guys for two spots. If you're playing the bullet and, and right. you'd be really set there. So I think that's good. Steve is pretty good. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with this. I mean, <laughs> given where the linebacker situation was, you know, a couple of years ago with the recruiting, they've gotten to a point where we just named four top 100 guys. Yeah. Four top 100 linebackers. Hey, is that okay? You guys good with four top 100 linebackers? Yeah. All good. We're all good. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, and Thomas, some color would have helped them, but like, they're fine. Yeah. Like, there's not like a, like that hurt when he left the class, but there's not a gaping hole and they, they'll, you, they'll, 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 and they'll add a linebacker here still, Steven, right. In 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's a guy who already has an offer or somebody who camped and is still waiting on one, the plan is to potentially add a third guy. All right. Let's get, let's take care of the safety spot. I'm assuming that you kind of still have that one safety look Nathan, when you're projecting this defense. I, I did. And I literally only have one safety there right now because I still think this is a big <laughs> area of focus i have jansen done there right now and then tbd after him I, I don't really know who else right now on this roster projects as a true free safety that they are going to necessarily trust there and um I, I think they still have some work to do there although this also is probably a figure it out situation and that it very well could be that the guy who's not quite the starting corner might be the new safety, right? There was a time like Damon Webb came as a, as a corner at Ohio state as a top 50 national guy, and then wound up playing safety for them. Could be. So yeah. I, I do think there's probably enough answers back there and we'll get to the corners obviously next. Um, Jansen Dunn, I guess is, is obvious. Like is, I don't know, was, Zandre Turrentine, number 169, is he a guy to throw in there or is he projected different positions, Stephen? I think you you hinted at what it's going to be here. I think if you're a five-star top 100 cornerback, you're going to play corner here. Everybody's going to start out at corner, which is what Kerry Combs said when Nathan initially asked that question back when we were in-person interviews in 20, so long ago. And I think that's just going to be – but you're going to see a lot of – you're just going to get a bunch of defensive backs – and move them around after you start them all that corner to get the basics down. So, yes, Andre Turrentine, uh, Jansen Dunn is a true safety, obviously. Whoever the 2022 guys will be, as we've talked at Lynn, Zion Branch, and Xavier Numpa. Oh, there's going to be a lot of these. The guys behind the top 100 guys where right now they might start out at corner, but they might move all over the place. And so guys like you know Kai Stokes and Ryan Turner, Andre Turrentine might just be your answer when you're talking about the safe, the the slot cornering and then free safety positions i mean that may be what ultimately ends up happening but isn't that also a little bit of another chink in the armor of this idea that this could be one of the greatest college football teams of all time that they're just kind of taking whatever answer emerges as the kind of leftover guy there or i mean i think they need a guy who's a true free safety and steps up and 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 commands to play that position 
I don't think it's as extreme because it's kind of similar to what Larry Johnson does on the line where he starts everybody on the ends to get all those passing rushing moves down. And then you move them across the line as you see fit. It's kind of a similar thing here. I don't know if I believe that. I mean, I mean, Malik Hooker, we knew he was a safety. We knew Jordan Mm -hmm. Fuller was a safety. We knew Josh Proctor was a safety. Like those guys did come in as safeties. I I bet Kerry Combs, I, so I guess it's the difference of like, well, what, how is the guy listed at in recruiting and that kind of thing? And like, what's a guy in Kerry Combs's head right now? I mean, yeah. if we had Kerry Combs in the podcast and we said, who's your starting safety in 2023, he'd have an answer. And I don't know that his answer would be like, what well, our fifth best corner, <laughs> right? Like that's who the safety is. I yeah. bet you he thinks he has a guy, whether it's Jansen Dunn or Denzel Burke or Jordan Hancock or somebody where he's like, you know what? I, maybe even the player doesn't know it yet but I see this guy as this. And I see as I move these pieces around, we're going to actually end up putting a top 100 player in the country back to patrol there. Cause he's smart. Cause he has range. Cause he can read defenses. Cause I trust him intimately. And maybe he's not one of our two best man to man cover guys, but I love this guy on the field and I just haven't told him, <laughs> but I'm, you also, I, I also know what you're saying. Nathan. I'm fine with that. I mean, if, if, Someone like, like you mentioned, Andre Turntine, who I think was listed as a safety in his recruiting profile, but they've always projected him as a cornerback. If he actually turns out to be a safety and he steps up and becomes the answer at safety, I'm not disparaging that. What I'm saying is that needs to be how it happens. It can't just be, I mean, you, the guys you just mentioned, Jordan Fuller was a really good free safety. Yep. Lee Cooker, or I'm sorry, uh, Marcus Hooker was not a very good free safety. And we are about to find out if Josh Proctor is a good free safety. I think the jury is still out on that. So one out of three of those three guys you just mentioned. And I think they just need a, a real answer back there. And I, I we're going into 2021 without an answer. And I don't think you can even really project one right now going out a couple of years. No, I, I didn't. I said Malik Hooker. I didn't mean Marcus Hooker. Oh, I okay, meant Malik sorry. Hooker, okay. his oh, brother, who came in as a safety yeah. and was like one of the best safeties in college football last time. Uh, yeah, I'll, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll just say the the answers are in 2022. At least they hope they are, and their names are Zion Branson and Xavier Nupa. Wait, say those names again. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Zion Branson, number 49 player, number four safety in the country out of Bishop Gorman High School. And then Xavier Nupa, Southeast Polk out of Iowa, number 54 player, the number five safety, but he might be the best safety in the country, honestly. So the answers are coming. And they're both being, being recruited ridiculously hard by coaches and players. I, I will amend my depth chart. One of those two guys is at the top yeah. of this free safety depth as, chart. As a matter of fact, Xavier has said it, that Bate has told me and other people that there is a spot for him as soon as he wants it, but there's no rush. Okay. That's good to know. So that actually changes the conversation. I think yeah, that's a good catch, yeah. Stephen. That's who I should have had there. Well, that, so that's two spots then, I think, that we would say left tackle and safety, where the answers to who starts in 2023 – either aren't on the roster or aren't yet committed to an, to the Ohio state's recruiting class. And that's, you know, again, that's fine. It's, it's three years out. So I think, is that a, I think that might be a good thing. Cause I, I kind of mentioned it on the Monday JTT pod, the idea that one of the good, the fact that in 2019, the 28, the second year guys didn't hit and you came and you responded with a lot of those guys were blocked. Yeah, because a lot of the 2018 guys happened to also play the same positions as a lot of these 2017 guys did. And this 2023 year that we're talking about, 
the 2022 guys are linebackers and safeties and interior defensive linemen, while the 2021 guys are defensive ends and wide receivers and cornerbacks. And so they don't, you're, it, it meshes better. No one's going to be blocked by anybody. If there's highly talented second year guys and highly talented third year guys, they're going to come together and not be necessarily blocking each other to get, to get on the field. That's a really good point. And that's one of those things where like, I think if you tried to ask that question of Ryan Day or Mark Pantone and said, hey, do you try to have the strengths of your recruiting classes and back-to-back classes be at different positions? So if we're just trying to gather, hey, we're trying to get the best talent in the country, but we want to make sure that our best guys aren't blocking our best guys and we don't have a whole, so quote, hole on back-to-back years. I think their answer would be like, you know what? We just take the best players we can get. But I think their actual answer would be like, yes. Like in there, when they're putting charts together and figuring out a plan, I think the answer is yes. They just would never speak that into existence because they want the best player mm-hmm. at every position in every recruiting class. But they I think there's of, something to what you're saying. They kind of do it on the offensive line, even though it's not all the way purposeful because there's just been some misses, but I've kind of been hinting at this. They go with the five-star interior guy. Then they get the five-star tackle. Then they go five-star interior, five-star tackle, which is why there is such an emphasis on getting a Zach Rice this year because you got Donovan Jackson in the last cycle and Paris Johnson the year before that. And so to the point of, if we're talking about super teams, we're talking with 14, 15 and how that was, I want to kind of go look at those rosters again, maybe in my own time. And I do a, a post on it on my own, just what those two classes looked like that was able to make what the 2015 roster was in the expectations that went into that season. And even 2014, where Zeke Elliott and, and Joey Bosa, a second year guys weren't being blocked by whoever was in the 2012 class for that instance. All right, let's do corners. Three spots. What you got, Nathan? So in the slot, I'm going to say Lathan Ransom is still around. I'm going to put him there at the top with Cameron Martinez. And then uh, on the outside, um, I think you're probably going to be rotating pretty deep there at that point. I put Ryan Watts and Ja'Kalen Johnson at the top uh, with Jaheim Singletary and Jordan Hancock behind them. But that I think by 2023, this is going to be a really deep cornerback group, like really deep. I agree. Yeah, and like, like I crazy deep. That you've you've got to have um, Hancock in there as a class of 21 guy, right? You've got to have Johnson in there as a class of 21 guy, and you've got to have Singletary in there as a class of 22 guy for those outside corner spots. Those are the three guys that you have to work in. And then you're trying to play the game of Ryan Watts, legend Cavazos, fourth year guys, whatever. But that's like, wow. Like that's one of those things where like right now it feels like, oh man, they really could maybe use something from Ryan Watts and legend Cavazos. And then by the time those guys are older, it'll be like, man, maybe those guys will have been around for a while, but they might be supplementing some of these really, you know, five-star younger guys that, it's funny when you think about it, which I guess, again, is how it works. You think about linebacker and cornerback, right? Sort of like cornerback last year, linebacker this year, whatever. And like those are two things as we're looking three years out where it's like, holy moly, it's locked down. But Stephen, this is exactly what Kerry Combs is looking for, right? Yeah, no, I 100% agree that you're going to have four guys playing cornerback. And I also, 
when I was thinking about this, was thinking about is Ryan Watts in 2022 going to get the seven banks preseason treatment where there are people who are just placing him in some first round mock drafts because they just think he's the next guy up. And maybe he just hits like seven banks might hit this year. And then instead of four guys, it's just three guys who are rotating at two spots, which is what Kerry Combs has always done when he's had the ability to do it. No, I think that makes sense. Right. Yeah. If Watts or Cavazos or anybody like really pops and goes, they're okay. Mm -hmm. And if they don't super pop and go and they're back as fourth year guys, it's like, awesome. We'll rotate. Nathan, when you were putting this group together, how'd you feel? Like I said, I mean, I, I think it could be just crazy deep. And like someone like, I mean, Legend Cavazos, you know, again, if you're just projecting based on recruiting rankings, is maybe really on the outside looking in at this kind of group. You know what I mean? Just from where we sort of project him to play. And and just because you've got guys like Singletary and, and J.K. Johnson and these other guys that are sort of surging in now. Um, but... I think you're also right that guys who get here early and can, can establish sort of a foothold and, and start proving themselves, maybe they rise to the top and it can really fend those guys off. But the competition in that room, I think is going to be pretty intense in the next couple of years. Whereas it's had this lull where they've been sort of desperate for anybody to prove that they're capable. That's not going to be a problem in 2022, 2023, 2024. Cornerback is so deep that the word that Terrence Brooks's name hasn't even come up once, and he's the number fifty-eight player in the country. Yeah, that's, that's what we're talking. Yeah, and, and listen, corners play a sophomores, right? That's not as we said. Like yeah. Jeff Okuda as a sophomore, for example, was playing early, was in a rotation early, and took a little time until he was super, until he super, super popped by the end of the year. But you saw it coming. But like that's not. It would not be. Unusual. I mean, we're talking about three corners in this class of 2022 that are already in Stephen in in well, Jaheim Singletary, who's number 13, in uh, Terrence Brooks, who's number 58, and Jair Brown, who's number 120. Right. So, and all these would be yeah. second year guys in this year, where it feels like they won't be they won't Ohio State won't be demanding they start or the, mm-hmm. in the rotation, but they certainly could be in the rotation. Well, that's the other thing. Like right now, there's seven true or redshirt freshmen on the 2021 roster. So that's all guys who would only be true or redshirt juniors in 2023. I mean, it's just, it's a really, really stacked group. I mean, someone like Denzel Burke, who was getting some good uh, feedback uh, from the coaches this spring and, and someone that I didn't know where they would really fit in. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a really deep group. Which it's going to be some interesting conversations too, because or or it'll or it'll thin out over time. It's not even that it's about thinning out. It's the it's the the, the, the as you keep mentioning what people's statuses are, and you're a redshirt junior, but you're a fourth year guy. How many times does Ohio State kind of suggest like, yeah, you've kind of used your eligibility. It's time to move on, type of situation without actually saying it. Well, I don't think they're going to be jammed up for scholarship spots, but it's just going to be like, yeah. I mean, especially the portal world is like if a guy's like, if they just feel like they're third string coming out of spring, they might go. Yeah, you're right. Now, the other thing here is when you're talking about stuff, right? Lathan Ransom is a slot corner right now because that's where he can help them the most because they do have Josh Proctor and they don't have a gazillion answers at corner. If you told me that in 2023, they're going to play a bunch of these younger guys at corner and Lathan Ransom is your deep safety fourth year Lathan Ransom who maybe but they, you know, they haven't really talked about him as that kind of player yet. No, I know, but I mean, I didn't. 
but but just the idea of like, well, who could do it? And it's like the idea of like, you know what? He played there in man coverage. I mean, it's a guy who's like, oh, what was Lathan Ransom's, you know, journey as a football player? It's like, well, let us tell the story. As a true freshman, he was locked up in coverage on Jalen Waddle in the national championship game, playing slot corner. And by the time in his fourth year, he was the senior last line of defense reliable leader of the defense of the best team in the country, right? Like that's not, you know, as you see where guys fit in, I think he has covered skills. I think he's smart. I think they would trust him. Like you're looking for an older guy, go be a Jordan Fuller type guy in the back end there. Just what we're sort of saying now that we had the corner discussion, Nathan, again, I think you're right. You don't want your starting safety to be a leftover, right? As I said, it's like, Oh, he's your fifth best corner. You're starting safety. That's not exactly how to do it. But there are enough options here. If we're talking about, well, they have too many corners to play, but we're not sure who the starting safety is. It's like, okay, well, like, let's figure that out. And I think Ransom, as we look at this now, for instance, maybe Cam Martinez. Cam Martinez seems like a nimble guy in the slot, right? Who can cover two-way routes and like be quick and have a good change of direction. That guy's a football player, man. That guy thinks like a quarterback. He's a quarterback. You put him on the back end, to make, make sure quarterback a quarterback in the defense. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, again, this is down the yeah. road. That's not crazy to me. So I think, I do think Nathan, there's not maybe an obvious answer as we do this three years out, but I think there might be multiple legitimate answers. And I think again, like my brain immediately went to 2022 signee for that left tackle answer. And I, I just sort of whiffed in thinking that way for safety. But I think Stevens makes a good point that I think that actually it was where I would trend to put the answer right now that it's coming in 2022. All right. So let's re run through this real quick. Defensive line, Jack Sawyer, number four, overall player, Mike Hall, number 52, overall player inside with Jade McKenzie, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, a mix of guys in that other defensive tackle spot. And then the other end JTT number three, overall player. So that's three defensive linemen in the top 52 linebacker, four good options. Number 18 player, CJ Hicks. Number 38 player, Gabe Powers. Number 75 player, Cody Simon. Number 86 player, Reed Carrico. That's four good linebacker uh, options for two spots. If we're thinking about Court Williams as maybe first up at the bullet, he's a number 166 overall player, and Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman could still be around. Safety, we just talked about. Jansen Dunn, number 170, but maybe a recruit, maybe a guy who moves there. Then these are the guys like in the cornerback mix. I uh, what Nathan did, but I just like talking about it. We're talking starters. Lathan Ransom, number one sixty-seven. Ryan Watts, number two hundred two. Jaheim Singletary, number thirteen. Uh, JK, is it JK? I, I get the Johnson. It's JK, but just call him JK. JK Johnson, number forty-nine. Jordan Hancock, number seventy-two. Cam Martinez, number three twenty-three. Legend Cavazos, number three fifty-two, and Terrence Brooks, number fifty-eight. So that's just like eight guys that the, the slightly lower ranked guys are going to be older and they're either going to have sta- established that you can believe in them and they deserve to be in the mix or they're going to be out of the mix. And then the younger guys are really highly ranked, but it looks like as we stand here three years out, you've got eight reasonable options for three spots, <laughs> which is good. And I didn't even say Jair Brown. He'd be the ninth option. Nine options for three spots in the secondary at a time when we think they have three guys for three spots for this season. So we can just see it, Nathan, right? There are multiple position groups that are going to swing one way that you would say in 2021, 
You feel awesome about the offensive line. It feels like there's question marks there for 23, but then there are other positions like linebacker and corner. That's exactly the opposite, that the potential answers in 23 feel more certain and there's more upside to what the answers are in 21. Yeah, uh, it's it's almost like, and I wrote this about uh, somebody that committed recently about how you can really see how the dip that led to 2020 um, from a defensive back standpoint how that is being corrected now. There's nothing they can do about going back in time, but it really feels like Kerry Combs and, and Matt Barnes are making a concerted effort that that's not going to happen again, that you're not going to be find themselves uh, so desperate for anybody to complete the position the way they were last year. There's also a mi- good mixture of there's the Jeff Okuda route guys. And then there's the Damon Arnett route guys, guys who are lower rated people who take a little bit longer to get there, but they eventually get there and they could be a first rounder. But then there's a Jeff Okuda's where it's like, Hey, in three years, you're going to be a top five draft pick. And there's just the guys. I mean, again, when you, when you really think about guys that just have the potential who has like all American potential based basically entirely on recruiting rankings, like defensively, it's like, okay, Jordan Hancock, Jaheim Singletary, JK Johnson, Lathan Ransom from what we saw in year one, based on more than recruiting rankings, looks like a football player, right? Court Williams, everybody loves him. All four of those linebackers are top 100 players. Really interesting. And then Mike Hall, JTT, and Sawyer, Jack Sawyer. Like, that's all, right? That's what we're talking upside, upside, upside. You've got like six receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming in year four, and Mecca Buka, Caleb Burton, like just multiple, multiple dudes. Offensive line, definitely the biggest question mark, but you still have Donovan Jackson in there who might just be an absolute stud, like the second coming of Wyatt Davis. Luke Whipler might be a really, 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 really good center. And then you've got some stuff coming at, at, at tackle that you need to figure out. Trevion Henderson, All-American candidate as in year three, absolutely. Quinn Ewers at quarterback in year two, absolutely. Nathan, does this feel like a team that would be a favorite to win a national championship? Well, favorite is tough because Alabama's doing pretty well in its recruiting classes in this same window too, right? So I don't know if I'd go as far as to say favorite because I need to line it up against what Alabama's doing in those same classes. I have, yeah. Alabama's is interesting because it's it's with Alabama it might become just come down to who's their quarterback is because yes, this is the highest rated class in the modern era. Twenty seven guys, it's a bunch of five stars, but they're None of them are cool. say that in such a dismissive way. I know, way, as if I know, that's I not know. exactly <laughs> what we're doing with Ohio State. It's the world of, of covering Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson. You you spoil this. How you talk about teams, but they don't have the quarterback to match it. And, and as, as I talked about with Georgia earlier, you had all that talent, but you didn't have the quarterback to match it. And Alabama's twenty twenty one quarterback Jalen Milrow is number eighty one and number twelve among quarterbacks. He's quality, but he's not what Quinn Ewers might be as a starter at Ohio state. But that's assuming that that Bryce Young's not still around. We're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. This is still the Ohio state depth chart portion. So let's finish this off and we will get to what the rest of the big 10 is going to look like in 2023 and what the national scene is going to look like in 2023. And obviously Alabama is first in that discussion. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. Again, great time to get in on the text. Write this down. If you haven't ever written it down before, 614-350-3315. Just fire off a text right now to that number and see what happens. Just to test it. So you, it's like, I wonder how you sign up for that thing. Because when you send the text, you don't instantly sign up. 
it sends back a note to say, this is how you sign up. And then you can be like, oh, 614-350-3315. I'd like at least five people to just right now text that and see what happens. All right, Nathan, or Steven, excuse me. You Let's do Big Ten real quick because it's kind of like the appetizer before the playoff thing. You were tasked with kind of poking around the Big Ten a little bit. Who Who is on the radar just based on recruiting classes? Who's on the radar just like if it would have, you know, like a Graham Mertz, J.J. McCarthy kind of radar, right? Like who's putting some stuff together, the way the schedule breaks down the, from the Big Ten side of things that Ohio State at least needs to be aware of, Ohio State fans should be thinking about for 23. Yeah, so obviously they play Notre Dame that season. That's their early non-conference foe. And Notre Dame recruited at a pretty high level. They had the number nine class in the 2021 recruiting class, recruiting rankings, which was headlined by Blake Fisher, the number 54 player, the number eight offensive tackle, and then Rocco Spindler, the number 59 player, and the number three uh, inside interior offensive lineman, and then Tyler Bookner, the number 70 player, the number 10 quarterback in the country. And then they're at it again in 2022 for their second year guys. Right now they have the number two class in the country, but there's still work to be done there. They have 18 commits, but they're still waiting on some top 100 guys to land. So obviously that's where things start. And Doug's face does not look at all impressed by that, which is fine. I'm not impressed because I said Big Ten, and then you just gave 15 minutes on Notre Dame, which I also researched. But go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Big Ten-wise, I think Penn State dropped the ball in 2021. We all know that. They let everybody come in and raid their state and get Kyle McCord and Jeremiah Trotter and Marvin Harrison Jr. and on down the line. But with combined with what they are doing in 2022 – I think it's the type of roster that at bare minimum can continue to put up the type of fights against Ohio state that we've come to know and love from Penn state outside of last season. So what they did in 2019 and 18 and 17. And a lot of that is because they're going to need some of these second year guys to land like Caden Saunders, who in any other time period is probably on Ohio state's roster. Matter of fact, if this were five years ago, his name would be Jalen Gill or Demario McCall as a borderline top 100 Ohio guy who would be perfect for that H back role in an urban Meyer offense. They've got Drew Sheldon who attends IMG Academy, a borderline top 100 guy. But then the big piece here is Drew Alar, who is the number 142 player in the country and the number 11 quarterback. But that ranking might rise because he went out to Elite 11 and put together a quality showing. And that's an Ohio quarterback where if this was 15 years ago, he'd be Ohio State's future starting quarterback. But now when you're getting kids who get perfect ratings, you don't take the in-state guy who's a top 200 recruit in the country. And so that's the type of roster where I don't think they can beat Ohio State that year, but they might lose the game 35 to 24 and where for the first three quarters, it's interesting. And then obviously Wisconsin putting together classes of offensive linemen year in and year out. They got Nolan Rucci out of Pennsylvania, the number 15 player, the number five offensive lineman as one of the three offensive linemen they had in that class. And then obviously the big fist is Michigan with you've got J.J. McCarthy and you've got Donovan Edwards and what will be year three for both of those guys. That is interesting because I think you have to be on alert for that. It's like, what does a Michigan peak look like, right? And it has Mm -hmm. to look like something like that, that they have a couple really top shelf recruits at the most important positions and they've gotten a chance to play and they've gotten their feet under them. And J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards in year three, I think Stephen is like, that's no joke. Like that there, that that might be, I mean, we're talking about J.J. McCarthy now for this year in year one. And he doesn't have anybody in his way. Like Kyle McCord has a bunch of guys in his way. And that's just real. Like, I just, I just think that 
And again, I understand Ohio State fans who listen to something like this and shake their head and say, like, I'm tired of the media waiting on Michigan to get good. But this is almost like this isn't even like a Michigan plan. This is like what like a, a second tier team's plan is. It's like, hey, get some big recruits, play them early because they don't have anybody good blocking them. And then hope that by the time they get older, they're really good. That's not actually what a national power does. A national power is just rolling guys through all the time. But you might have J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards in year three who are top 50 national players who have started 30 games by then, Stephen. And that's like a real thing. Because at worst, J.J. McCarthy is in the year two of being a starter, yep. which is a pretty big deal. And at worst, Donovan Edwards is in year two of being a starter. And then you're talking about – we just talked about it with Ohio State's you know, five-star corners where sophomore corners play – Will Johnson is in year two at that point as a five-star cornerback. And you've got Tyler Morris, who's a top 100 uh, wide receiver in the 2022 class as well. And so there's enough there where whether they're competing with Ohio State game and not, it's too far out, obviously, but it it makes things interesting because both sides have five-star quarterbacks, even if Ohio State's is the second coming of Trevor Lawrence. And I do think, Nathan, I mean, we've had – Bob Flounders from Penn Live on with us before, and he has talked in great detail about like Penn State's never going to be what it can be until it gets a quarterback. And and if their answer at quarterback is, well, Ohio State went in and took a kid out of Texas, which allowed Penn State to go in and take a guy out of Ohio, and that's the answer, that might be an answer at quarterback, Nathan, better than what we have seen at Penn State in this era. And if that happens, the general depth of talent at least puts them in competition, I think, on a Saturday with Ohio State. And if the quarterback's the real deal, that changes the game. Well, but, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Penn State has been right there with Ohio State. I I think we, you know, don't get too distracted by the way last season went. I mean, this has been a program that's been on the cusp of of being a real nemesis for Ohio State. Has been been the nemesis in the East, really. I mean, legitimately. So, I... I think you're right. If if to say that if they could just get one quarterback, they are they are closer to being one quarterback away from being a big problem for Ohio State than Michigan is probably. But the point I think that so I, I agree with you. But I think I mean when you think about okay, Penn State and Ohio State had great battles when it was kind of like JT Barrett versus Trace McSorley, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State has graduated from the JT Barrett Correct. style yes. of quarterback play. And Penn State has not yet done that. They'd take Trace McSorley. I mean, compared to Sean Clifford, you'd take Trace McSorley 10 times out of 10. They have to graduate in the same way to keep up kind of with the Ryan Day era of Ohio State quarterback play. And maybe this is the guy, right? That maybe, I mean, he, again, he drew a LAR, went out. It is a LAR. Am I saying it right? He went and lit up, right? He lit up, lit up Elite 11, like opened yeah. eyes, right? And again, this is the whole point. And I think I think Bill and Ari talked about it on their podcast. It's like when Ohio State goes national, then somebody else can come in and take Ohio guys. And this is like the it's like a Hakuna Matata. It's the circle of life, you know. And that if that if that's how Penn State gets to the next level, then that's how they get to the next level. But but that, I think to, to, to follow up on your on your point yeah. though, if that may get Penn State to the next level, but the only reason that's happening is because Ohio State's going to another level. It's like <laughs> it's like you got up to like the 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 what you thought was the last floor and you're like no no there's a penthouse above this like this is the last floor that like your elevator cart will get you to but there's another floor above you like you're going to hear people walking on your ceiling like i think that's what we're talking about here like ohio state takes this trade-off right 
Like, okay, oh, yeah. you got Drew Allard, but like we got Quinn Ewers. Like, who's not taking that trade? For what is like, worth, yeah, that's, that, that's literally what it was in 2022. The top eight players, I mean, the top seven players in Ohio are either going to Ohio State or Penn State. And the two guys who aren't going to Ohio State is because Ohio State went national and got Caleb Burton and Quinn Ewers. I, I'm wondering, to the point you just said where Ohio State has since graduated from the JT Barrett style of football, and Penn State has clearly not because Sean Clifford is still their starting quarterback, but this is his last year. With Mike Yursich now there, and he's responsible for this recruitment, could you just come in and start as a true freshman? And then you're talking about a second-year starter in 2023. I don't know what they're doing otherwise, right? I don't know enough about the Penn State quarterback yeah. situation. I know that they had that Will Levis guy that they threw in there as a wrinkle. He left. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess they have. they do have the other guy. I can't remember his name. But it's like, again, I'm, I'm – I'll – not punt a year, but I would rather if you're if you're Penn State or Michigan and you're trying to get past Ohio State, I'd rather put in a guy who you think has a chance to be great and let him take his lumps. Yeah, and and hope you get it on the back end. So I would do that. I mean, because okay. he's their graduate, he is them graduating from the JT Stair Sean Clifford style. He's six four, two twenty eight with a rocket arm. Yeah. So I mean, it makes sense to me. So so that's just so that is a couple. Listen, all we talk about is that the Big Ten doesn't have quarterbacks to compete with Ohio State. If we're talking about in 23, Michigan should have a guy. Penn State might have a guy. That just is a little different. And so running through that 2023 Ohio State schedule, again, it's the Big Ten. It's like it's a road opener in the Big Ten on the road for Ohio State. It's at Indiana, first game of 2023. It's scheduled for a Saturday right now. Who knows? It might wind up on a Thursday if things go as they often do. Then it's San Jose State, Western Kentucky, and it's at Notre Dame in week four. We'll talk about that a little bit more, as Stephen touched on. Then Maryland at Purdue, Penn State at Wisconsin. That's a little bit of a double dip, and there's not a buy in there. That's back-to-back weekends. Yeah. So it's a buy between Notre Dame and Maryland. But that's a little bit of a thing, Penn State and then at Wisconsin in October. That's not easy. Then at Rutgers, Michigan State, Minnesota, and at Michigan. So that's the schedule for 2023. I just want to throw out a couple of national things. Listen to this. <laughs> the second week of the year when Ohio State on September 9th is playing San Jose State, these are the two national games on September 9th. Alabama is playing Texas, and Georgia is playing Oklahoma. Good it's Lord. like the SEC Big 12 Challenge yeah. while Ohio State's playing San Jose State. Like, it is Unbelievable. I cannot believe that. And then Notre Dame's schedule that year. All right, we know they, I mean, they play these teams, but Notre Dame's schedule, they're playing Ohio State on September 27th. They're playing USC on October 14th, and they're at Clemson on November 4th. So Notre Dame's playing Clemson and Ohio State, and if USC is back by then. We know USC is a traditional rival. That's some stuff. There's some interesting stuff in there, Nathan, of, again, I, in a, if it's still if it's still a four-team playoff, you're talking about some of these non-conference games being very vital to the positioning of getting in. If it's 12, you're talking about these national games, and Ohio State-Notre Dame is almost to the level of, of Oklahoma-Georgia, of positioning for the buys and that kind of thing. So I guess the question is, what would be better as Ohio State, because you've got to win the national title to be the greatest team ever, 
in a four-team world, you only have to win two games to win it all. But you are in danger of being 2015 Ohio State, which is the most talented team that stubs its toe once. Hey, you've got that Penn State at Wisconsin back-to-back. You had a physical game with Penn State. You go to Wisconsin. They're ready for you. They run you over, and Wisconsin wins 21-17. You stub your toe, and you might be out, especially when all these other teams have chances at big resume wins. So that's the risk for a four-team or a 12-team. You've got to win an extra game. So you've got to win three games instead of two, and that's just a little bit harder. But, I mean, if it's a 12-team playoff in 2023, they're guaranteed to get in. I mean, they're guaranteed to be in it. So what do you think would be better for the 2023 Buckeyes? I just it, – it's – I understand what you're asking, but, like, the, the, the extra game is coming. And to, to, to start to put any Ohio State fans in a mindset where you want to whine about – having to win the extra game that year, which just happens to be the year where things really culminate for you is I don't think a direction that, that fans should probably even start thinking about. I think what they, they should definitely look at it from the other perspective, which is sometimes even great teams will run into the wrong great team or really good team in the wrong week. And that shouldn't, that's the whole point of this. That shouldn't take you out of any consideration where it becomes just a subjective thing about what the, the, the committee is thinking that week or at, at the final week of the season. I think you would much rather take the certainty of getting in regardless of uh, what, ha- you know, Quinn Ewers ate some bad clams that week and can't play at the week that you're at Wisconsin, whatever. I don't even know if he likes seafood um, or, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you would rather, you, you want the certainty of getting in over the slight inconvenience of having to win that game against the team that you should be, that should be overwhelmed still there should be a a big talent advantage there. I think with this team, the four team playoff might be better. I just think with, with this specific team, it just might be better. But I think for the state point of being able to argue which super team was the best super team, the 12 team playoff is better because then you have the argument of we won the national championship with our super team while also having to play one extra good team than what LSU and Alabama had to play. The hard thing is, and again, this I still haven't written this, and I want to get around to this. Maybe I'll just save it for the start of the season. It's like, do you miss devastating losses? So in 1998, Ohio State had the best team in the country, and they lost to Michigan State, and that was it. Devastating loss. In 2015, Ohio State very possibly had the best team in the country. They lost to Michigan State, and that was it. Devastating loss. If you're pro-devastating loss, get ready for 2023 for this gigantic collection of talent to have a little slip-up. You know, and then you can decide, you know what I really love about college football? That 2023 team was the best group of players I've ever seen. But that loss, oh, it really killed them. It didn't just hurt their seeding. It really killed them. And that's why I love college football. Okay. I know there are some people who think that because it makes everything so important. But if you just want your good team to win a national championship, you are giving them a little wiggle room, Nathan. And again, it's like, all right, fine. Beat the eight seed. Instead of beating four and two, you have to beat eight, four and two. Or maybe you have the slip up and now you're the five seed. Right. And now you've got to now you've got to play four games. But your first game's against number 12. That barely counts. And then now you're you're right. I mean, like you're still probably okay. So I think in general, if your goal is my wonderfully talented team, I want them to win a national championship. 
I mean, if Tom Brady had to win every single regular season, right? I mean, the Patriots won Super Bowls where they didn't have the best regular season record, but you were allowed to slip up. And this they just, lost them when they were 16 and 0. That's true. This just lets you slip up. And so because I think you would have confidence, and I guess it probably to me would apply to every Ohio State team because the only the thing that has hurt Ohio State the most in the playoff era is not getting in. It's not been losing in in the in once you got there. Now listen, they have lost when they got in there. The 16 team never should have made it. The 19 team, what are you gonna do? And the 20 team just wasn't as good as Alabama. But the more devastating stuff are the times they never got in. So I think it will be 12. I can't imagine they're going to talk about it this much and study it this much and then not go to it at the first opportunity. And the first opportunity is 23. So I guess if they drag their feet, but like they only drag their feet to save money. They don't drag their feet to lose money. And they're going to make more money with 12. So I think they will get to it as soon as possible. And 23 is the first time they can. I'm assuming it'll be for this season, Nathan, that Ohio State will have to win three or four games to win it all. And again, it's just it's going to be the new normal. I, I would I think it's not going to be a good look if people want to whine about that. And the other thing to remember is Ohio State. There's added incentive, actually, I think, for Ohio State to want the 12 team, especially if that's going to be the first year they won the first 14 playoff. They could win the first 12 team. Playoff. Oh, I didn't even thought of that. That's I mean, really what, good. And to be a, to be the program that gets to say both of those things. That's like that great. alone maybe is enough reason for, the, for them to want the 12 team. The playoff can't change until Ohio State's in a position to win a national title. And it's like the foregone living conclusion. So to that point, though, can you be a super team if you know if you're not undefeated, though, which is the whole point of this exercise? Uh, I mean, I guess I would have to think about that. And I, pro- I would imagine there are some teams that we could come up with. I mean, it's hard if you go back. I mean, you go back far enough. If you like if you lost, you didn't finish number one in the yeah. vote by a bunch of guys who were watching stuff on black and white TV. So I don't know, but I don't know. Was Ohio state 2014, a super team. I, I'll actually say this. Um, it, as far as going to the 12 team and having to win and playing the extra round, I don't think it's playing the third game. That would be the thing that is the most detrimental to them, because that's going to be like the eight or nine seed. It's not a team that was probably going to be a playoff team back in the old days. What could hurt them is that semifinal game instead of what it is now, what it's become the last few years where four is kind of just the team that gets waxed. And that hasn't always been the case, but that's when it's been trending to. You got the three really good teams and then four is kind of the afterthought. Now that's going to be maybe a team in some cases that was like the 2015 Ohio State that deserved to be in there or, or, or 2017 Ohio State that deserved to be in there. I guess 15 is an example too. That deserved to be in and got edged out by technicalities or whatever. And now that's the team you end up playing as the five seed that beat the four and, and worked its way up. Which is why with this team, you want four because Ohio State hasn't had an opportunity to be the number one seed. And given what the you know schedule is for some of these national powers, this might be their best chance to get it. I will say I also, I mean, I remember when the, I remember it was only seven years ago. Everybody remembers when the playoff came into existence, I thought Ohio State had a chance, and they did, had a chance to win the last national championship pre-playoff, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. they had a 24-game winning streak and went to the Big Ten championship game. And if they'd won that, they would have played Florida State for the national title. Like, I thought that was like – and that would be the opportunity here to finish up on the point you made off the top, Nathan. It's like, this is a podcast about 2023 Ohio State, but don't sleep on 2022. That would be kind of a cool, you win the last four team, you win the first four team, you win the last four team, and then you win the first 12 team. 
like but national championships. Also, uh, are you marking? Cool anyway. Are you mark? Are you marking that down? Ohio State's winning back-to-back national titles. I've already marked down that 2023 is going to be the greatest team in college football history. Is that is that not enough? But it's why I was saying that you asked, you started this whole thing off by asking me, is the hype too far? And I'm saying the hype isn't just about 2023. The hype is because look at that three year period, like didn't finish it off in 2013, won the 2014 championship. And then 2015 is kind of a disappointment. So does 2022, 2023, 2024, that same window, how do we look at that at the end of it? Because I think 20, it's not that people are, I guess, consider that first window of, failure necessarily but did they get everything they could have gotten out of it and will they do more with this next one and that will be a very clear window if quinn ewers is a starting quarterback all three years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if this guy and again we are doing right now with the texters the mount rushmore of ohio state quarterbacks and like we're doing it now because it it might change in two years and then we're gonna have to unchisel somebody's face it's like sorry jt barrett we're unchiseling your face and here comes quinn ewers Cause that's what we're, I mean, like that's possible, right? I mean, that's, he, it's he could just possible. get a, he could just be a Lincoln and get his own memorial. I'm pretty sure they use dynamite by the way. To blow, have they blown someone's face off of Mount Rushmore? No, before? but I think that's oh. a lot of the, a lot of the <laughs> sculpting was done by dynamite. I believe. Yeah. I like Mount Rushmore because I like what people do. I'm like, ah, oh, God made a tree. It's all right. You know, my wife's like, look, we went to Yellowstone and we went to Mount Rushmore. It's like, look at this beautiful vista. I was like, yeah, it's cool. But I was like, that guy carved a face in a mountain. (laughs) Man. Um, I mean, trees are good, too. God does good work. Okay. That's our 2023. I just hope I wasn't hot. All right. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by that. We don't have anything to say there. We have some commercials coming, though. I think they drop in there. We have some more people wanting to be sponsors. We appreciate it. It's because of you guys. It's because of you guys listening. Again, the National College Football Podcast is gearing up. If you want to give that uh, a chance, you can do that. But we always appreciate you listening to Buckeye Talk. We have a Thursday podcast coming, talking about coaching rankings. And then the plan for Friday is Ohio State, Michigan, 2006 on the Retalkables. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>